Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. My name's Scott, again, if I've not met you, and uh, I'm excited to dive into this beautiful story with you today. Would you guys pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we are just as hungry as all those people on that hillside. We're just as needy. And we've come here for the, mir- the miracle of the gospel, for your blessing, for the breaking of the bread, for satisfaction. Come, Lord Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Um, whether you grew up in church or whether you're new to Christianity, this is probably a story you're familiar with, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, I believe it was the last uh, Bible story that our home groups talked about last week. So for many of us, this is a freshly read and meditated upon passage. But I think our familiarity with it sometimes masks the drama and what I actually think is the humor behind this story. Because though this is a story about Jesus miraculously feeding thousands of people, at its heart, it's really a story about Jesus bringing his disciples to the absolute limits of their capacity and to the brink of their exhaustion. And then when they're stretched to breaking point, Jesus pushes them over the edge by asking them this insane question, by telling them to do something. And that is when he says to the disciples in verse 37, you give them something to eat. That command is the center of all the outrageousness uh, in this story. And so I want to start this sermon a little bit different than I usually do, and that is with a top five. Anybody like doing top fives? This is basically what me and my friends did growing up. Top five favorite albums of 2007. Top five heist movies, whatever. You can do top fives on anything. But here's what I want to do. Top five reasons why Jesus' command, you give them something to eat, is absolutely insane. (laughs) So top five reasons you give them something to eat is crazy. And actually, they all begin with I. It's pretty impressive, okay? Uh, Number one, it was an inconvenient command. It was inconvenient. Jesus' ask here in this story is utterly ill-timed and inconvenient because these guys are literally on a ministry retreat from serving. Open up your Bibles with me to to Mark chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, you can put there in your bulletin. If you're at home, please grab your Bible. Open with me to Mark 6. Our story begins in verse 30, uh, but if we look back earlier to verse 7, we see that Jesus had sent out his 12 disciples on their first mission trip. So he gave them his authority to do all this really cool stuff. And what they were doing is gritty, risky, avant-garde, exhausting ministry. And Jesus is not with them to hold their hand on this mission trip. They're out on the front lines doing it by themselves. With that in mind, look with me at verse 30, how our story begins. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Ah. So the disciples returned to Jesus. They've left everything on the field. 
It says that things were so crazy. Did you notice? They hadn't even had time to eat. This is like working through your lunch break, okay? And Jesus knows this. He sees their exhaustion, and he invites them on a quiet retreat. Can you imagine uh, how cathartic that must have been for them to be invited on a silent retreat with Jesus? Uh, I imagine that this is what was fueling their ministry during the grueling days of whatever it was they were doing, where it's like, man, soon it's going to be me and Jesus with a novel on the beach of Galilee. Like, it's going to be perfect. I'm going to sleep in late. It's going to be quiet. No one's going to be there. Ah, And then Jesus takes them away on a boat. But now look at verse 33. This is where it gets good. Now, many, that is many other random people, saw them going on this silent retreat, recognized them in the boat, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, Jesus, he saw a great crowd. Now, this is hilarious. This crowd, by the way, which we learn is thousands of people, thousands of people, finds out what retreat center they're going to and basically gets there first. So this is like you going on vacation to the beach and you get to your vacation home and your boss is inside and is like, by the way, can you do one more thing for me? I've laughed this week. I have young children, young moms with young children. Uh, This would be like somebody seeing you, a friend or spouse, and being like, you have sacrificed so much of your time and your body for your children. I want to do something for you. There's a cabin in the woods. It's all alone. You go there by yourself. There's a bed. No one else is going to be there. You can just sleep in peace and quiet. And you're like, oh my gosh. And you start tearing up. You're driving there in the car. and You can like feel the stress coming off your shoulders. You get to the cabin. You unlock the door and you hear a baby start crying in the, inside the cabin. Your kids all got there before you. This is no less deflating than that. You have to, you have to experience some of the humor here. Can you imagine what these guys felt when thousands of people are waiting for them in the, in scare quotes, desolate place? Yet even so, their last hope was probably, okay, well, surely Jesus is going to send these people away since this is, you know, our retreat, our ministry retreat. But this is when it gets even better. Look at verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus engages them. He dives right back into it. And if I put myself in the disciples' shoes, I'm seeing Jesus' eyes, you know, tear up and his heart grow. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Like, don't, 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 don't start, don't start. And then they make an effort to stop him, uh, which is what they say next. They do a really good job. They even cloak their frustration and empathy for the people. They don't come out and say, we don't want these people here. What they say is, you know, when it grew late, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. These people are going to be hungry. But you can hear what they're really saying, right? Please send these people away. And at that point, Jesus responds with the unthinkable. Great thought, guys. These people are hungry. Hey, I've got an idea. You give them something to eat. When Jesus had taken them away to rest from serving, he asks them to serve. See how crazy that is? That's inconvenient. 
Number two, it was insensitive. It's deeply insensitive. Not only was it untimely and inconvenient, it comes across as insensitive, kind of tone deaf, because they themselves were hungry. They were exhausted. Remember, one of the things Mark explicitly tells us is that they were so busy serving, they had not had time to eat. So this means Jesus is asking them to give what they have not received. Has anyone ever asked you for something that you've not had yourself? You kind of get offended, right? It stings. You want to be like, I haven't had any myself. I'm imagining Peter whispering to John, hey man, can you believe this? Like, how can he ask us to feed them? We've not even had food yet. And by the way, we're the ones coming back from a mission trip. You know, why doesn't he ask the thousands to feed the 12? Because we're the people who've been working so hard. It seems insensitive. Number three, it was irrational. It was utterly irrational. And it was irrational because it was late at night in the middle of nowhere. Those are the two details we get. It would come across as insensitive, inconvenient if they had had access to a kitchen. Uh, It was dinner time, but that was not the case. This is the main thing the disciples focus on. They're like, Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere, and it's like late evening. This is the wrong time in the wrong place, and Jesus is like, no, this is the perfect time in the perfect place. You give them something to eat. Number four, it was imposing, deeply imposing. I used to have a pastor who would do what I called drive-by ministry recruiting, which I may have done this to you before, and I kind of apologize. But basically, I would like be in the church lobby, and he would come by with a random person and be like, hey, Scott, this is so-and-so. So-and-so's new. And I think because of their story and what they need, you have so much to offer them right now. So y'all just hit it off. Like, you need to talk to each other, and then he'd be gone. And then I would be left there with this random person being like, I'm sorry, what's your name? Like, what was I supposed to talk to you about, you know? He would do it all the time. There's some of that going on here. Jesus is the one that had compassion on this crowd. He's the one who engaged the thousands. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, hey, man, why is it our job to feed them? You're the one who engaged all these people. I didn't sign up for this. I came here to rest. And I can also imagine thinking, and also, you're like the son of God. You snap your fingers and you can do stuff. Why don't you do it? He's lassoing them into something they did not sign up for. Number five, and this is the biggest of the top five. It was impossible. Yes, it was inconvenient, insensitive, irrational, imposing, but all that pales in comparison to this one. It was an impossible command. There was nothing to eat. There was nothing for them to give. There was literally not enough food. And this is how the disciples respond in verse 37 after his request. You give them something to eat. They go, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give give it to them to eat? That's not an actual question. That's sarcasm. That's them being like, oh yeah, we'll just go to the invisible bakery right over there and spend the equivalent of thousands and thousands of dollars. Like, yeah, no problem. We can, we can do that. Jesus had stretched them to absolute breaking point here. And then he asked them to do something that is literally beyond their ability. So there's your top five reasons 
why this command is insane. Isn't that delicious? There's so much more we could talk about here, but this story is so dramatic. Wouldn't you love to see the expression on the disciples' faces when Jesus asks them this? Um, I've thought a lot about Psalm 23 this week because there's so many allusions to Psalm 23 in this story. And Psalm 23 is so peaceful and beautiful, and there's something of that here, but I've chuckled to myself thinking about how a disciple in this passage would rewrite Psalm 23. So it'd be something like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. Except that sometimes as I'm lying on green pastures, 5,000 hungry, stinky people show up. And they want food. And then Jesus tells me to feed his sheep. And all I want is peace and quiet and honestly some food myself. Surely needy people will follow me all the days of my life. And Jesus will never stop ministering or teaching people. You know what this is like? Getting to the end of the past year, coming back to the year, the day one of the pandemic, as it were, which was grueling and isolating and destructive, and having nothing left in the tank, feeling like your gas tank has just shrunk over the past year feeling all the alarm lights going off in your family, just needing a break, and then you come to church and you hear other Christians talk about mission. It's a year to the day, and I think the fact that this is the story we're reading today is really significant. It's perfect for us this morning. And if I'm honest, this is where I'm at. So just to show you my cards, I utterly identify with the disciples in this passage. Um, I get together, if you're new to our church, uh, our church is a part of a broader movement around the Midwest, and uh, I get together with other pastors and leaders in the Midwest, and I hear Stuart, our bishop, start talking about gearing up to serve all these needy, isolated, hungry people in all of our cities and all of our states around the Midwest, how we have this massive opportunity, and honestly, I'm just like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't think I have another gear. I don't know if we have another gear. And I want to push back like the disciples. Genuinely, I've had feelings like, can't we just for once focus on ourselves for a little bit? (laughs) Like, we have a great church. What if we just for like six months had a really divinely sanctioned holy huddle? Our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, why can't we just send them away to another church or another town? Like, somebody else will take care of them. I'm sure they would love to do that. Why do we have to? Yet even as I think and feel those things, I know that's not coming from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. There are thousands of sheep without shepherds. So why does Jesus intentionally bring the disciples to breaking point? Why does Jesus, when they're already spent, give them an inconvenient, insensitive, irrational, imposing, impossible ask? I think that's one of the great questions of this story. And yes, it was intentional. In John's gospel, it says that Jesus said this to test them. So Jesus has a twinkle in his eye when he says this. Why does he do it? Why does he do it to us? I think Jesus' ask is an invitation. It's an invitation to experience something and digest something that they never could have really laid hold of if Jesus would have just told them. There was a part of their faith that God wanted to deepen 
which required bringing them to breaking point. And what was the invitation? I think it's a lot of things, but two that I want to focus on are first, he's inviting them to experience the truth that when we are weak, God is strong. And second, that satisfaction and sacrifice go together. So the invitation is to experience the two truths that when we are weak, God is strong and that sacrifice and satisfaction are bound in the gospel. Let's parse those out. When we are weak, God is strong. This is a profound biblical truth. God's power is perfected in our weakness. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when we are less, he is more. We become less, he becomes greater, says St. John the Baptist. And so sometimes when God wants us to not just hear about his power, which often we do, we hear a lot about it, but when he wants us to go further than that, to taste it, to experience it, often he will kind of frame up in our life an arena of weakness for the theater of his divine power. This is like God bringing Israel into the desert intentionally. Do you know how long apparently it would have taken for Israel to get from Egypt to where they were going was about two or three weeks on foot. And how long did they spend there? 40 years. God intentionally brings them into this place where there's absolutely no way of getting food or water. And there, he rains bread from heaven. Water comes out of a rock, and the people learn that God provides. They learn the answer to the question, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Oh, yes, he can. So God loves to stack the deck against himself, and that's what's happening in this story. The disciples are like, are you crazy? It's in the middle of the night. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's not enough food. We're exhausted. We cannot do this. And Jesus is like, yes, perfect. These are exactly the right conditions. And they're like, well, all we have is two loaves and two fishes. And he's like, perfect. Now watch this. And then they saw God's power. Then the miracle happens, right? There's this explosion of grace. They didn't just hear about it. They tasted it. They lived it. but they could have never experienced it without first being brought face to face with their own limitations, with their own weakness. And thus it is that Christ often brings us to breaking point in order to experience a divine breakthrough. It's when we reach that breaking point that we experience that explosion of grace. You feel like the wheels are absolutely coming off the rails but God is in fact framing up an arena of weakness. This is why the Apostle Paul says, I delight in my weaknesses. That sounds crazy, right? I delight in my weaknesses. I boast in them, he says, because through them Christ's power rests on me. I delight in my weaknesses because through my weaknesses the power of Jesus rests upon me. So do you want Christ's power to rest on you? Then don't be surprised if he stretches you to breaking point and with a twinkle in his eye asks you to do something crazy. Check out this painting with me on the front of your bulletin. If you're watching online, you can look at it on the first page of your bulletin. 
I love this painting. This is from a contemporary artist. Names, his name's James, I don't know how to say his last name, Janknet or something like that. But uh, he gave us hearty and speedy permission to use this, and he was thrilled that we're using it for our Lent artwork. Um, but one of the things I love about it is if you look in the background, you can see the thousands just sprawled out on the hills, don't you? And if you look closely, you can see 12 disciples who are walking around in the middle of them. They all have blue jeans on and orange sweatshirts, which I guess was the uniform for apostles back then. Um, put yourself in their shoes for your second. Imagine you're one of those guys way off in the back there, walking through the crowd, passing out a miracle. What would that have felt like? Do you think any of those guys would have traded that experience for a quiet novel by a beach? Not a chance. Not a chance. To be there on that day would have been the experience of a lifetime, right? Man. And a part of this, that kind of leads into our second thing, which is this idea that sacrifice and satisfaction go together. Sacrifice and satisfaction go together. The disciples begin this story exhausted, and they end up lying down on green grass with full bellies. Um, Verse 42 says, they all were satisfied, and that means the disciples too. So in a way, they got what Jesus brought them out for, right? They got satisfaction, they got rest. But how did it come? It came through serving, through sacrifice, through giving even the little that they had back to Jesus. There's a woman in another church in our diocese, in our church network, who grew up in another country, and she came to uh, college, to university in America. And her first year, because she was separated from the continent of her youth, uh, was really hard. She felt really isolated. She felt really depressed. She had a lot of problems, and she was ready to tap out. And she called her mom and told her about everything that was going on. And her mom was spiritually discerning and astute enough to say, thank you so much for telling me. Um, I know this sounds really hard. Here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to start serving people. And I'm sure that was a little bit, uh, I don't know, confronting at first, or like maybe she felt a little bit hurt, like, what? But she took her mom's advice. She went to her church and was just like, I want to start serving somehow. And the church was like, well, we need help in nursery. She was like, whatever, I'll do that. And she just started serving, and it was through her serving and finding out other people were needy too and getting to kind of minister alongside Jesus that she started to flourish. So in this weird way, what she needed was service. Now I grant you, that idea does not make sense to our culture. When we are weak or needy, our instinct is to scrape and claw out of a kind of scarcity mindset. When we're needy, when we're weak, when we're isolated, we think there's not enough to go around I haven't eaten yet. So we hoard our resources, right? Whether it's time resources or relational resources, money resources, we think we've got to keep everything in. But this story, I hope you can see, is just a flat-out challenge to a scarcity mindset. The mentality of Scripture is the opposite, right? We lose our life to find it. We die in order to live in a crazy way, in a miracle, the more resources we give away, the more our resources multiply. Do you see that truth in this story? The more that you give, the more you get. 
And this gets to the very DNA of the gospel and to the life of God himself. You can see this in the painting. Jesus will reference this uh, when he's celebrating his Lord's Supper as we're gonna do later on. So this is all about the life of God. Because you see, God looked down on all of us. Here's the truths of scripture. God sees all of us as sheep without shepherds. Stinky, hungry, broken people by the thousands and millions like the people in this story. And the great mystery of the world is that God had compassion on you. God had compassion on me. He was moved and it was then that the father said to the son, son, you give them something to eat. And it seemed then, and still seems to many, utterly outrageous, an insane command for the, son to, for the father to ask the son to do this. All the things, it comes across as insensitive, inconvenient, imposing, irrational, and impossible. Why would God ask his son to die? How could one man's body feed the world? And yet the son willingly, willingly laid down his life. He gives up his body for food. And like the loaves and fishes in this story, Jesus' body was taken, it was blessed, it was broken, and it is given for the life of the world. Jesus, brothers and sisters, was stretched to breaking point, and he broke. Yet it was at his breaking that the breakthrough occurred. Amen? There was an explosion of grace at God's weakest moment. It was in Jesus' death, in his defeat, that he broke the back of hell. It was through the weakness of God that the power of God was demonstrated. And it was through his sacrifice that we're satisfied. It was through his suffering, through his generosity, that Jesus' joy was made full, because that's why the Bible tells us he did it, because of the joy set before him. So to wrap this up, listen, if these truths are central to the feeding of the 5,000, if they're central to the story of God himself, might they not also be central and true for your life? Think about it. What if your current state of weakness, and I'm speaking to you if you are in a season of weakness right now, what if your current state of weakness was not something to be ashamed of, but rather is an arena that God is setting up for the theater of his divine power? Is the precisely exact perfect context where God wants you to be? What if it's the very thing that God is going to use you to drive you to his embrace, to deepen your hunger and your thirst? and to demonstrate his power to a world that's hungry. That was true for the disciples, right? You're looking at it in this story. It was true for the apostle Paul. He said, he's the one that said, I boast in my weaknesses so Christ's power rests upon me. It was true for God himself in Jesus at his most weakest point. So don't squander your weakness. Weakness by itself isn't anything special. It's just not enough food. <laughs> but weakness that's brought to Jesus 
Weakness that drives you to Jesus. Weakness that says, help me, Jesus, gives way to miracles. Finally, this is something I think our home groups talked about, but man, this question, let it turn back on yourself. Where is God saying to you, you give them something to eat? You might even be asking him to do something. Why don't you do this? How come you're not doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Where is he saying, you give them something to eat? Is there an inconvenient, insensitive, irrational, imposing, impossible pressure point in your life right now that you feel like the Holy Spirit just has his finger on? Where Jesus is looking at you with a twinkle in his eye. Brothers and sisters, we all have so many wounds to lick from this past year. I actually thought I was pretty good about like two months ago. And it's in the past really one or two months that I have truly started being like, I have been deeply, physically, spiritually, mentally affected by this past year. We all have a lot of wounds to lick, but far be it from us to chart a course for the future coming out of coronavirus that is only focused on ourselves and not the thousands. Amen? For the Christian, satisfaction is always bound up in sacrifice. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just want to give you a second to minister to us by your spirit, Lord. I pray for everyone here, for everyone who's watching on the live stream right now. Lord, it's a perspective shift. It's a still small voice. But would you ennoble our weakness right now for us? I pray that for people who are here, for who are listening, who are in an impossible situation of weakness, Lord, would you flip the script on that to where they see themselves as being in the exact right position to receive the power of God. And Heavenly Father, we long to serve alongside you. We see how joyful that must be to serve the miracle of God, to get to pass out a miracle to hungry people. Oh God, where are you telling us you give them something to eat? Lord, we repent from times that we have asked you to do things and not listened to your own command to us to partner with you. And so, Lord, as we go through the rest of this service, would all these truths be bound up and woven together and assimilated into our very being through the Holy Spirit in only a way that you can. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.